I'm Tom Morello, host of Maximum Firepower, a weekly podcast focusing on the music, the moments, and the movements that have shaped my worldview and left an indelible mark on me as an artist and activist. Correct with Maximum Firepower. You and me. This is Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. I'm Tom Morello. This episode is entitled A Pair of Aces The History of the Twin Axe Attack. My guests are guitar luminaries Nuno Betancourt and John Five. We're going to get right into it. Nuno, of course, the guitar player of Extreme, longtime friend. John Five, also a longtime friend, plays with Rob Zombie and his own band, John Five and the Creatures. And they are twin axe and lone axe experts that we're going to talk to about this important hot topic today. But a little uh, a bit about the origins of the twin axe attack. Like most great developments in rock and roll, twin leads date back to the South and working class musicians, both black and white. Some early folk blues duos appeared with one slide player and one straight picker and would team up occasionally with two slides. Charlie Patton and Willie Brown, Garfield Akers and Joe Calicott's Cottonfield Blues, and the gospel blues of Dennis Crumpton and Robert Summers were early examples. The Rolling Stones brilliantly employed intertwining guitars on their greatest hits. Then the Yardbirds had become a heavy-duty twin guitar band in 1966, thanks to Jeff Beck and Jimmy Page. Playing together for just a few brief years, the duo alternated twin leads and soloing. It was the Allman Brothers Band that elevated the twin harmony lead guitar sound to new heights, starting in 1969. Dwayne Allman, Dickie Betts created a whole new vocabulary of intricately written duet melodic passages, often appearing as the head and the theme that recurred throughout the tune, all of the bebop-era jazz structure. High-flying twin runs were punctuated by each of them soloing in turn. Live, the two would engage in shootout-style cutting contests where they'd trade eights, then fours, then twos, and finally end up playing together. The Alice Cooper Band with Michael Bruce and Glenn Buxton were a finely oiled machine capable of incorporating twin passages and dueling solos with handoffs and were encouraged to do so by excellent producer Bob Ezrin. Thin Lizzy, known almost as much for their twin lead guitar attack as for Phil Linnett's excellent writing, powerful singing, and charismatic presence was another example. And of course, the hard riff funk of Aerosmith was propelled by Joe Perry and Brad Whitford. By the mid-70s, heavy metal became increasingly codified and distinct from hard rock. The main difference being its break from the blues, its textures and volume, and increasingly, the presence of twin lead guitar. The home of these developments was both in Europe and the UK. So, hey, Nuno and John, first of all, how are you doing today? Good, how well, are you now? Good, good, good. Now, we are all guitar players that, for the majority of our careers, have played as the only guitarists in our <laughs> outfits. So we may be somewhat prejudiced when it comes to the, uh, <laughs> the topic of the twin axe attack. So let's just start off like, uh, Nuno, what are a couple of your favorite twin axe attack bands? For neophytes out there, by a twin axe attack is sort of a... Funny way of saying two guitar players in one band. I mean, look, my favorite band is Zeppelin, one guitar player. Queen, Brian May, one guitar player. Uh, Van Halen, one guitar player. And obviously, but we loved our two guitar player bands. You know, those are the bands that, you know, did things that we, maybe as guitar players, it didn't hit us as much. So I want to do that, but it was undeniable. Obviously, Aerosmith first for me was a big one for me. But I think one of the one Priest was a big one for me as well. And what I loved about Priest is I could really hear the difference between both players when Tipton played or 
or KK Lady could really hear the difference. And I, I loved how they traded and how they did that. There were bands that did the trading thing really well, like a Judas Priest, and also with Aerosmith. But then there were bands like Thin Lizzy that when it came together, it was just, it was orchestral, it was beautiful. And I think as well, uh, one for me, which is a little Iron Maiden, I loved what they did as well together. But my out-of-the-box one that really influenced was Kansas. <laughs> was Kansas, mm -hmm. yeah. I was obsessed and still am obsessed with Kansas. We don't get to talk about every time we do any rock interviews because it's not considered rock in a way. It's prog rock. There's no like mm -hmm. prog people calling to do any articles with me, I guess. But, <laughs> but, but Kansas musically, harmonically, the guitars, all the things they did used to blow my mind. Yeah. Me too. Me too. I loved Kansas. Yeah. So, so, John, talk a little bit about the pros and cons of the one guitar player band versus the two guitar player band. I mean, with the two guitar players, you can create this beautiful, of course, harmony and all these things that are complementing. Like, I think maybe one of the most famous, Hotel California, just gorgeous, unbelievable. and Greatest solo of all time, in my opinion, by the way. I think it's the greatest guitar solo of all time. I agree. I mean, it's so well done. It's perfect. I mean, that solo to me is just perfect. But it would sound different if it was just one guitar because that <laughs> harmony is so important. It's so imperative to have that beautiful harmony and how they complement each other. So there are, like, you know, you can't argue with that beautiful harmony in two guitar players. But then you can go to such an extreme, you know, which I love extreme, of course. Thank you. you know. <laughs> of having one guitar and it sounds incredible. And how would that sound if there were two guitar players? It wouldn't be the same. So it's, it's a very hard thing to talk about because you don't know, because you have songs like Get the Funk Out, like if it was like just all these, or Killing in the Name of, you have, what if there were all these harmonies? I, it just wouldn't be the same. Yeah. But then you have extreme like Racer X on their mm -hmm. second album where it's just like, <laughs> out of, uh, like insane just these crazy solos being harmonies so yeah it has to i think it has to do with like the chemistry of the particular group you know i don't i don't think that adding a second guitar player to you know whether it would be rage against the machine or led zeppelin would improve that band because the chemistry yeah. of that band excels with the space that one guitar player needs to do that on the other hand if you strip away a guitar player from the eagles that Hotel California solo is a little flatter than it once was. Yeah, you're right. And you know what's great about you picking out Hotel California as well is what's really genius about that solo, first of all, everybody can sing it. That's how memorable it is. You could sing every line. But they trade off for a long time. There mm -hmm. isn't any mm -hmm. harmony. It's really yeah. tasty back and forth. And mm -hmm. it's the fact that they say fuck it and come together for this like thing. That's when yeah. you just your head yeah. explodes and goes, yeah. wow. Yeah. Wow. Freebird is another example that does just exactly. that, that as well. Freebird is absolutely. Yeah, where they come together on that. Okay, so let's talk for a second about the... So there's three ways... In my view, there's three ways to do it. One is there's a guitar player. There's one guitar player in the band. Two is there's two guitar players in the band, and they're both lead guitar players who alternate in some way. Then there's another very successful and classic rock formula is there's the rhythm guitar player and the lead guitar player. And let's talk about some of the pros and cons of those. So in the realm of the designated rhythm guitar player and designated lead guitar player, some of my favorite bands would be ACDC and the Scorpions. ACDC, come on. Those would be the, at the top of my list. ACDC, yeah. And, and Malcolm Young, you know, maybe doesn't get sort of the column inches in the press that his brother does, but is one of the most important musicians, in my view, in the history of rock and roll music 
for laying it down. And again, it has everything to do with chemistry. It's the way that those guys play together. But the way that his right hand plays those ACDC songs allows everything else to happen. And if he were soloing along with Angus, I don't think they would have the same impact or result. Agreed. Another one like that would be Metallica. Yes. I mean, James Hepfield with that right hand. Yep. It's James and Kirk. They just complement each other so well. And it's not like they're doing dueling leads or anything, but that mm. is a great example of two guitar players coming together just this powerhouse of sound. Yeah, yeah let's, let's talk a little bit more about Metallica because they were on my list to discuss. And Metallica is, you know, yes, James Hetfield is a singer, but his guitar accolades are, you know, on the same level as the very talented lead guitar player in the band, Kirk Hammett. Like, that rhythm guitar playing is so brutal and wonderful and crucial to the sound of that band that it's absolutely imperative. And no one, you know, we don't need James to be doing two-hand tapping to make that band successful. He just needs to stay on it. I think that's a great point, Tom, because I feel that where Eddie is kind of drives Van Halen, I feel James is the guitar that drives Metallica. Mm -hmm. I think you pull him up. No, no offense to obviously our, his, his counterpart, which is incredible as well, but you pulled that glue away. And then James is like, I can hang with a solo as well and throw in some harmonies and do, yep. do you know, yep. hang with you. So yep. he's definitely underrated yeah. in that way. So one thing that I remember when you know, as a young teenage guitar player, when you're making decisions about what kind of band you're going to be or what kind of band you want to form and you sort of are matching it up against the other bands in the world. And I remember reading a, uh, an interview, it was, it was some metal band, and it might have been with Dokken. The snarky interviewer was saying, like, you're one guitar player in the band, but you have all this rhythm guitar on your record that goes away, especially during the solo section. And doesn't that diminish the sound? And he was a little flat-footed. My thought was always, <laughs> my, my thought was always, like, not having a rhythm guitar player is a great opportunity. That's the way that I look at it. It's a great opportunity for an even wider canvas to splatter your creativity and inflict an even broader musical vision onto the song. That's the way that I've always looked at it. And so I was, I loved like on the, you know, the Ozzy Osbourne, Randy Rhodes records and on the Van Halen records where there wasn't a moment where you could relax because at any moment there might be a trill or a riff or an unexpected noise or dive bomb in the middle of a phrase or in the middle of a riff that completely took you off guard and it wasn't cluttered by that second chugging rhythm guitar. That's just my personal preference and the kind of bands that I've always wanted to be in. Well, I mean, you bring up a good point, but I think it's kind of a love-hate, right? We wish sometimes, and I think you're right, when you're the one guitar player, your solos are different. You play in a way that's way more, there's an excitement to it that has to hold its own. When you have a rhythm player, you pull back a bit, which is, is not a bad thing, but you play a lot, I think, more melodic because you got those changes with you. And, and you become that guy that, like, I got that support that actually fills in the gaps of my solos. But mm -hmm. what I love about, I used to be afraid of that thing live as well, where the guy says, shit, man, when you go play live, it's kind of empty in the back. Truth is, when your fans go to watch your shows, they hear everything that's there. They imagine Absolutely. everything that it's already in their memory, whether it's a rhythm guitar you, you record and it's not there and it's already there. It's not, this isn't, it, it's not an Olympics where it's like, well, you know, we're going to score eight points because the rhythm was missing. <laughs> they know it, they feel it and they know the changes. Now, if they're hearing something for the first time, you and I both know if you recorded something with some nice rhythm and the rhythm matters, you know, it's pretty damn empty. I don't care how much distortion you put on the bass or mm -hmm. what's going to happen. You know, it's going to be empty if nobody's ever heard it before. It's not right. going to make as much sense, but right. fuck them. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. For, I mean, for <laughs> me, I've, I've always liked kind of the, because there are some songs where 
there would be rhythm guitar on the record that's underneath the solo that then is gone. And I always looked at that as like, that's a challenge. So I'm not going to play that same solo that's on the record. You know what yeah, I mean? Right. I'm not going to play that same solo. Like it's, it's, here's now a different canvas that I must make compelling without that on it. And then I was, I always appreciated that rather than just sort of have being able to rely on it. Okay. Let's talk yeah. about some specific twin axe attack combos. Now, one that I've always really loved and they've had different lead guitar players who have been artistically successful in different ways. It's a band called the Scorpions. So Rudolf Schenker's always been, I thought a really great songwriter, really great basic rhythm guitar player, but just driving and great groove and great right hand. So they start out with Uli John Roth, who's kind of like a space age Hendrix guy. Then they've got his brother, Michael Schenker, you know, for the sort of a teenage wunderkind. And then for the last 30 years or so, Matthias Jobs. And maybe they don't get the same kind of love in the United States they do in other places, but I always just thought, in my view, they're one of the versions of an epitome of a really great rhythm guitar player, lead guitar player, twin axe attack, fight me. I agree. I love the Scorpions, and I saw Love at First Sting. I used to go, when I was, you know, 12, 13, I would go to every concert there was. Anybody that was coming through town, I would go, and I saw the Scorpions. And I understood when it sounded really abrasive and it just didn't sound great, but when I saw the Scorpions, and I didn't understand it when I was a kid, but it sounded so clean and it sounded so good. It was so dialed in. And you could tell these guys were doing this for decades. It was perfect. I mean, these guys, how they played together. And I remember both of their hands were in different positions. They weren't playing the same thing. They, you know, one guy was here, one guy was up here. And I remember that clearly when I was a kid, I was like, oh, maybe that's why it sounds so good, you know, because I was so young, I was still putting it all together. But I remember vividly seeing the Scorpions and just being blown away of these two amazing guitar players. Yeah, and, and that's a perfect example, Tom and John, about why the Scorpions work. The, the, the other side of it, the, not the messier side of it, but the heart, especially in an arena or a stadium or anywhere, when you get oh, yeah. the Stones, for instance, the Stones are the version of like, we're just going to play left and right, and we're just going to kind of fiddle about and fiddle through and do our own thing over here, and Mick's yep. going to sit somewhere in the middle. And Aerosmith kind of did that as well, even though they would attack on the riffs together. But, but the Scorpions were that band that, this, that you realize, this is where how rhythm is to feel like a big monster. Metallica did it as well, where still somehow... It just felt like that was a big unison fucking thing going on, and your guitar player could still be as clear as a bell when he was doing his thing. You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, Nuno, I want to ask you about Aerosmith. I know you're a big Aerosmith fan, and, you know, Brad Whitford doesn't get the, the same oh, love that our, that our hero Joe Perry does, but I have a feeling he's going to during this podcast. <laughs> you're absolutely <laughs> right. It's like, you know, I love Joe, know Joe a little bit, but I love Brad Whitford's playing. And one of the things, one of the biggest mysteries is, a lot of us don't know when he's soloing. That's right. Yeah. And so you see them live. And you know how many times I've seen him, especially in the early days, and I'm like, and I'm looking at the solos playing, I'm looking at Joe, and I'm like, that solo that I loved, that tone <laughs> that I loved was Brad? Like, yeah. you, you go, and nobody says, hey, it's this one during this song. There's like, there's an outro right. solo that kicked your ass, and you're like, oh my God, like, Joe's like killing it on that part. And it was Brad the whole time. Yeah, you're like, it's got to mm -hmm. be the guy with the cheekbones. Yeah. <laughs> it's got to be the guy with the blonde streak. <laughs> this is Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. This episode is A Pair of Aces, the history of the twin axe attack. My guests are John Five and Nuno Betancourt.
All right, so Nuno t has talked about Aerosmith. I got to ask you, John, tell me about the twin axe attack of a little band known as Kiss. Ooh. Oh, wow. You know, this is really great. I could tell you exactly what is going on here. Now, <laughs> with, even with their first record, like I was talking about the Scorpions, Ace, for some reason, like I never really understood it, but even his power chords, he would do way up on the neck and Paul would be here. And it just sounded so great. When you take that away or you do a cover in your garage playing Kiss songs, it doesn't sound the same unless you have the two guys doing that because they complemented each other so well and they did harmonies all the time. Like, and Paul played some solos on his own. I mean, um, like Hard Luck Woman or like the beautiful, beautiful harmonies they would do and Rock Bottom. Oh my God, like they really did the twin axe attack early, early on, early 70s. I mean, we're talking like 74, 75. They were doing these amazing, really cool, like Maiden-esque type of solos. And yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was and blown Detroit away, Rock City as well, where they come in. Yeah, they don't, you're right. They don't get the credit. They were doing like that Thin Lizzy vibe and nobody ever really talked about it. Like, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah they were just always about the show and the makeup and stuff. But they had some amazing, amazing like harmony work throughout their whole career. And yeah. still to this day, they've always had two guitar players, you know? Now, these are all bands that have employed the Twin X attack to, uh, with greatness. But let's talk about the two main ones, Priest and Maiden. Like when one thinks of the Twin X attack in hard rock and heavy metal, those are the bands. And I remember the first time I saw Judas Priest play, they were opening up for Kiss at the Chicago Stadium. And I was unfamiliar with the band. And I was like, wow, there is a lot of dudes in leather and there's a motorcycle and their heads are all bobbing at exactly the same time in the same direction. And it sounds fucking awesome. Who are those guys? It turned out that it was Glenn Tipton and KK Downing and became the biggest, like Priest was my number one band for quite a while after that. And it was just the unique way that they, sort of like UK way, a European way of First of all, unapologetically heavy metal as a key part. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't laced with boogie rock and blues rock and this, that, and the other. It was just two guys who just were going to grind their axes into your face until you submitted. Yeah, they were relentless. And, you, and by the way, they were like the forefathers of yeah. heavy metal, really, especially with the twin guitar attack. Mm -hmm. That was them. They did it in 73. Mm -hmm. Maiden was after that, and bands yep. followed. Yep. They kicked that shit off. Bands followed that yep. afterwards in the, in the heaviest ways, and, and it's like they've been doing it for, what, 35, 40 years that way, and yep. it's been that same. One of my Bibles is is Unleashed in the East, that live album. Victim yep. of Changes is like my fucking biblical priest live song yep. ever. And I, but they need to get that credit because they just did it constantly, and they and they and and it was always an attack. There was never like... Oh, we're going to kind of break it down and we're going to do... No, it was in I, your uh, face. I was nearly kicked off the stage at a Judas Priest concert. I uh, it was at a barbecue at my wife's family in Southern California and Priest was playing out in San Bernardino and I just was like, sorry, I got a, about an hour and a half drive ahead of me. I got to go to the pre-show. I'll be back later tonight, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, dri I drive to San Bernardino and, and I knew Rob a little bit, but you know, just standing there in the hallway as Judas Priest is coming down in the full regalia. I'm standing at the side of the stage losing my 
fucking mind in a way that I'm disturbing the crew who's trying to tune guitars and you know and, and dial in monitors and like son you have to calm down and I'm like I'll try and then I couldn't then Victim of Changes comes on I'm and I'm I'm a one man mosh pit at the side of the stage and oh yeah dude I, I got it, my I got my warning so I behaved myself I knew I had to stop listening I know you I know your pain and your feeling because I had to stop listening to Victim Changes in a car on Mulholland Drive or else I drive <laughs> off the fucking cliff I was like that's not allowed that's not allowed. <laughs> All right, so let's talk. John 5, tell me about a little band called Iron Maiden. And really, in some ways, well, Priest is the originators, in some ways, like uh, an apex moment in the history of Twin Axe Attacks, Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden. Now, it had that, I mean, we're all these 15, 14, 13-year-old kids, like you're saying, on the side of the stage. It doesn't matter if we're 50 or 15. It never changes. And that's how I am when I see... Iron Maiden because I saw them on the Number of the Beast tour. I was like, you know, I lived in a really nice neighborhood in Gross Point and I had to like find my way to the scariest part of downtown Detroit. And I went when I was just this little kid because I had to see Iron Maiden. And when they came out, I mean, it was worth everything to skip school and to get into trouble and all this stuff because it changed my life so much. I mean, I was like just blown away. And I still am that little kid, you know, seeing them on the Number of the Beast tour when I still see them today. It's unbelievable. And that will never go away. Their whole thing was built around the two guitars almost always playing harmony part, you know, beginning to end, 10 different parts in the song where they interweave with those lines. And they really made that their own, you know, like I said, like the apex moment in heavy metal when it comes to that. How do you get one more, you know, not only did they have two guitars, but now they have three. Yes. <laughs> it's we're one, getting, to, one the, we're getting to that a little later in the show. One louder. Getting... One louder. Yeah. One but yeah, you know what? And they were the progressive version. I loved it because I was into Kansas and they took Priest and they were like, we're going to get progressive on your ass and like, and do some yeah. of that horseback riding rock that we yeah, all like, that some, gallop rock. Here comes rock. the rhyme of the ancient mariner. I hope you have 17 minutes. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. So, John, have you had experience in the Twin Axe Attack? Situation. No, good for you. Just stay in, stay in pure. Stay in <laughs> no, pure. but I do have such an appreciation for it. But I've never been in a uh, band or anything like that where it's been, you know, yeah. uh, multiple guitar players. But I love it. I really do love it. You know, some of my favorite songs of all time are yeah. Double Axe Attack. Yeah. It's, 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 speaking of which, Tom, you know that Extreme was supposed to be a two-guitar band. And what happened is I was always going to be the one guitar. I was in a band called Sinful, which was one of my first real like metal bands, which I still love to this day. We had great tunes, great band. And then I met Gary, said, come down and play. But they were going to do a two guitar attack. They wanted to replace the guitar players that were there. And I went in and I actually went into Cambridge Music Complex, auditioned with another guy they wanted. And mm. I was cool with it, actually. I'm like, I'm going to give this a shot. I love Aerosmith. I really How, how said, old were you? I'm, 15 years old at that time or something? Oh, I'm, I was, yeah. I was, like, ridiculous, like, stupid. I had to get a ride yeah, from yeah, Hudson. Like, <laughs> 15, 15, 16 years old. Yeah, and what happened was we started playing, and I was like that guy. No, you take the solo. No, you take the solo. You know, trying to be like, I didn't even want to play it. And then I was like, we did one song, and I said to myself, I can't do this. I, I can't be in a, a band with two good. It just didn't feel right. Yeah. I didn't have to say it. Because they all left me after the first song and they went and had a meeting in the hall without me. And I'm like, I'm out. I'm going to be out. And they came back in without him. Oh, wow. And they were like, you're the dude. And I was like, and I didn't even do, I didn't even play a solo. 
Yeah. I just played rhythm. <laughs> and I was about to tell him I can't. It was crazy how shit happens, right? Wow. And, and here we are today. So I've been in one guitar bands my whole life until I joined the E Street Band. And I did a tour in Australia where there was uh, Steve Van Zandt, Nils Lofgren, Bruce Springsteen, and myself, and occasionally two acoustic guitar players flanking us. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was an entirely different experience than anything that Ooh. I've been around before. I mean, on the one hand, you know, like you can relax a little bit when that's the case. You know what I'm saying? Like when we're in our bands, you're carrying the whole mid-range the whole time with your foot down the whole time. You this, beg I'd for be a like, drum solo. <laughs> yeah, exactly, except for the drum solo. This, I'm like, ah, I don't really remember the bridge to Thunder Roads. So I just turned the <laughs> volume down for that one. <laughs> so, there's three other guys who do know it. <laughs> so it's that gonna is be, awesome. Gonna That's be awesome. Fine. It's going to be fine. <laughs> so, all right, anyway, thank you very much, John Five. Thank you very much, Nuno Betancourt. I am Tom Morello. This has been Maximum Firepower. Thanks so much, guys, for coming on. Hopefully, you'll come back again. That was fun. Thank, Thank you. you, man. Let foes of justice tremble. This has been Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. Hear this episode again or listen to past shows right now on the SiriusXM app. Search Maximum Firepower.